four English sides have made it safely through to the Champions League last 16. And the competition now resuming in spring, and we'll, we, we will be assessing the strongest contenders from the Premier League and abroad. This weekend, there are a couple of massive games in the top flight, not least Chelsea's clash with title chase at Arsenal, as well as Liverpool visiting Tottenham. We'll be looking forward to those games and more, with Man United, Man City and Newcastle all up for discussion. Elsewhere, it's been a week of beef. In fact, Cristiano Ronaldo unfriending Gary Neville, Samuel Etu claiming that he was better than Thierry Henry, and Michael Owen's assertion that he would have been worth as much as Kylian Mbappe back in his heyday. This is Football Digest, and joining Anita Abayomi and myself, Peter Staunton, are Alex Brotherton, Man City writer at the MEN, and Ian Doyle, Liverpool correspondent for The Echo. We are live today, so if you want to get involved, please drop your comments, and we'll read those out as we go. But we're going to start with the Champions League. Ian, we're going to start with you, where Liverpool's form has been in stark contrast to their stuttering Premier League campaign so far. Well, it has. I mean, it helps that two of the games were against Rangers who were absolutely hopeless. I think I think Rangers have got... Is it the worst ever worst Champions ever. League group stage ever? Yeah. I mean, OK, I don't think Rangers are absolutely hopeless. They did really well to get to this competition, so before anybody complains about that. But you would want to play them in the Champions League, certainly at the moment. Yeah, Liverpool's form... It's interesting, really, isn't it? Because there's only Bayern Munich who've got more points, who ended up with more points than Liverpool in the Champions League group stage. And I know I say that there is the caveat of having played Rangers twice, but they still had to win the games. And they, they won them twice. Yeah, they, 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 they won them particularly well. And and for all the, you know, they needed four goals against Napoli to finish top. I still beat them. And I can tell you now that, you know, Napoli were, were very much up for that game on, uh, on Tuesday. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the old thing. It, it's been a little bit of a... a a little bit of an escape for Liverpool, I think, Europe this season, you know, playing the games. I mean, it kind of the season all started to go a little bit wrong with that game against Napoli uh, in the first group game because you, you saw then that mm, things aren't quite right here. But obviously, it turns out that Napoli are actually quite good. You know, this is the you know the game on Tuesday was the first they've lost, and it was this season. It was the only the second time in 28 games they'd failed to score. So Liverpool deserve a bit of credit for that. But yeah, I think from from the interesting thing for me is the next round, the groups, uh, sorry, the knockout stage, you know, the, the draw that they've got. They can only play the Porto, uh, Real Madrid, uh, Bayern Munich, and now obviously Benfica after what happened to them. So I think there's a lot of Liverpool fans who are quite happy at the fact that there's no chance of them going back to Paris. Yeah, it's certainly in the, the first knockout round. I don't think anybody was too keen at the prospect of that, you know, because it matters off the pitch, let alone matters, you know, on it. So uh, I think that overall Liverpool, the, the, the Europe, as has been the case so often, certainly under Benitez, it used to happen quite a lot. There was a, a nice little refuge from things that were going back, uh, back, back, you know, going on back at the Premier League. Ian, I have to ask, right, so... You've mentioned the Premier League and Mm. we're looking at the contrast between the Champions League and the Premier League. Now, I'm looking at it as, okay, Champions League, um, you only play a certain number of matches, you can go for the whole season and you you haven't got to play the Champions League again probably until um, February next, next year, right? So you can turn your season around in that time. Obviously, with the World Cup coming, there's going to be a bit of a, a standpoint for it, but you can turn your season around. Is this kind of a sign to kind of say that, okay, the Premier League may not be too great right now, but with how things are going in the Champions League, our season can potentially turn around? Yeah, I think it's a little reminder to the players themselves that they can actually still do it. That's the, I think that's the, the main thing. I mean, I'd be more worried about Liverpool if you didn't understand why things were as they are, because you could just write down the, you know, there's about five, six, seven reasons why things have been the way they have in the Premier League this season, and they've not really been able to do that much about it. So I do think it's been a confidence boost to Champions League. I think they, they, you know, they know the way to play in it. They've played different formations in the competition already this season. And as I said, after that, that Napoli 4-1 game back in, in September, they'd, they'd be able to address it. I mean, they won, they won 3 nearly nine. I mean, they won 7-1 at Rangers. And I know people say, oh, Rangers, this, that, and the other. That, that was the joint heaviest defeat in Rangers' entire history. You know, so it wasn't as if it was just a knocking off a, a 1-0 or a 2-0. So I think they've been proving a point to themselves, perhaps in Europe. And certainly they did on Tuesday. I think you could see the celebrations, even though there was a game, it was a game they were never going to win 4-0. The celebrations at the end when they scored those two goals, I think they were proven to themselves that they can still do it. And But of course, the thing has, has been, as has been the problem all season, turn it into Premier League form. And yeah, you're right, the, the, it's, if they, I know it's the old if, but, well, you know, all that kind of thing. But if they hadn't lost to Leeds, I don't think it would have been anywhere near as bad as perhaps people are saying. But they did. And there's a reason they lost to Leeds, and it's because they didn't play very well. And all the problems that everybody knows about Liverpool, they all came home to roost in one game. Um, Ian, a lot of teams actually got more points than Liverpool in the Champions League. I just wanted to throw that out there. Chelsea did just last night. No, no, they, they didn't. Liverpool got 15 points. There was only Bayern Munich who got more. 
Does any Bayern Munich got more? They got 18. Chelsea okay, got, yeah. they got 14. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. But, but again, I'm pretty sure, I you know. You need to put some Chelsea hate in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, it's just numbers. It's maths. It's just, I'm sure, you know, City had a hard route to Liverpool and they got a decent points tally and, and they got through as well. So it's just about getting through. And of course, Liverpool are the only team that didn't finish top in their group from the, the four English teams. I wanted to pick up actually just on how impressive Liverpool were uh, against Napoli um, because this is a team that looks like it probably will go deep in the, into the Champions League and, and they're well clear in Serie A as well. So um, some of the most exciting players in Europe too. And I think Liverpool, they, you know, it was kind of a bit of a revenge mission um, that they managed to do on them after, as you mentioned, Dean, earlier on in the group stage. Um, I'll pick up with Alex just now, uh, Anita. I wanted to come to him about the conclusion of um, Man City's Champions League group stage, all very straightforward for them. Uh, no Haaland, of course, um, in the Sevilla game, but there's a certain youngster that's on the tip of everybody's tongue this morning, Alex. Um, tell us a little bit more. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously the, the game was essentially a dead rubber with City already having um, secured top spot and, you know, Sevilla were guaranteed to finish third in the group, whatever happened. So it was nothing to play for in that sense. But as you say, Rico Lewis, I think that was the sort of the highlight of the game, really. 17-year-old um, right back, come up through the City Academy since he was eight years old. Um, and he scores on his full debut. So it was a really nice moment for for City and everyone that was was at the game and, and watching on TV because, you know, it's... They seem City seems to be collecting quite the, the sort of collection of players now who grew up either like well supporting City not just in the academy but actually City fans. You know you got Phil Foden, um, Colt Palmer. Obviously, you know Erling Haaland was sort of brought up as a as a City fan as well. Um, and then Rico Lewis is the latest um, the latest player to do that. And you could see how much it meant to him um, when he celebrated that goal. It was a really nice moment. Um, and yeah, so it was a lot of faith that Guardiola was showing in him. He said before the game, you know, um, I think someone asked in the press conference if, if Lewis was going to start. Um, and, you know, he said, well, he, he doesn't really have anything to prove. Like he's, he knows how good he is already. And he's only 17, which is quite the sort of the praise to come from, uh, from someone with the stature of, of Pep Guardiola. But yeah, he's a really talented prospect and you get the feeling he's not just, you know, he's not just being thrown in, in, with these cameos or these these sort of rare appearances just to give, you know, the likes of, of Joao Cancelo a day off kind of thing. Like he he really does look like the proper deal, like he, that he's going to sort of kick on. And I know we've seen some young players come in to sort of Champions League dead rubbers in the last few seasons and not really ever establish themselves. But with Lewis, he's kind of showing all the things that you want out of a out of a City fullback. He, he can do the tucking into midfield thing like Kyle Walker and... And Cancelo, we can, you know, he, he actually goes forward more in a way than than Walker or Cancelo does when they play right back. You don't really see City fullbacks overlapping too much anymore. But in the second half yesterday, he was doing he was doing plenty of that, and and he just looks really confident as well. And that's only going to you know improve with with this goal on his full debut, City's youngest ever Champions League scorer. I think it was he's the youngest player in the competition's history to score on his first start. I think he broke Karim Benzema's record uh, by about six days, I think it was. So yeah, pretty, pretty perfect evening for him. Just what England need, uh, another right back as well um, to get their team of right backs up and running. Um, Anita, I want to come to you just now, just to, to, to round off uh, some of the discussion of English teams. Uh, in the Champions League, uh, I wanted to talk to you about Chelsea. It started indifferently. Uh, that um, their campaign started indifferently. The result in Zagreb ultimately cost Thomas Tuchel his job. Um, some iffy performances along the way, you would say, under Potter, but they've they've come through unscathed in the end. I'm actually surprised that we did. I won't lie to you. At the start, it was looking a little bit shaky. I wasn't even sure if we'd beat, if we'd beat AC Milan, but thankfully they had a few injuries and we managed to beat them um, back to back. But yeah, I can't say that I was positive going into this Champions League group stage because I just knew the team just didn't seem like they were clicking. It didn't seem like anything was going right for Thomas Tuchel at the time as well. And then Graham Potter comes in and I think we played Salzburg when he came in and it was a 1-1 and it just looked dreary. We didn't seem to have a new manager hype, a new manager bounce. So it, it's actually a surprise to me that not only did we come out of our group, we actually finished on top, which is... For me, it's more than I could have asked for. I would have taken a second place to AC Milan 
you know, I would have taken that and I would have run with it if you asked me to. So I'm quite proud. I'm quite proud of the lads. And the football stall isn't great. Last night was not a great show of football for me personally. Um, Mason Mount himself, he said it. He said he didn't have a great game, but he got man of the match. And that just tells you everything that you need to know about everything that's happening with Chelsea at the moment. Um, Mason Mount getting man of the matches, but he's coming out in um, interviews saying, I gave the ball away way too much. I don't know um, why I got man of the match. So, yeah, it's just a little bit of a bittersweet kind of celebration. I hope when the round of 16 comes in February, I'll be much more happier and much more positive about the football that we're playing. But as of right now, I'm just, it's a bittersweet feeling, but we should be there anyway with the quality of players that we have. So yeah, happy days <laughs> to an extent. Yeah, very dramatic end to the to the group stage elsewhere with Benfica going absolutely ham uh, in the end uh, to relegate PSG to third place, uh, second place in the group, and obviously Juventus now out, and also Spurs uh, overcoming um, overcoming Marseille right with the last kick of the game, um, which put them through. I think at top of the group as well. So. You know, interesting, um, interesting days ahead once those knockout rounds commence uh, in the spring. And who knows what state football will have been by then. The World Cup will be over. Some teams will be rested. Some teams will be jaded. Some managers will be out of a job. It, it's just going to be, we don't know what, we just don't know. I mean, January could have a record-breaking transfer that could change everything. Who knows? We just don't know what how things are going to look. But if I had to put you on the spot right now, Ian, uh, I'll start with you and say from the group stage, I know you've probably seen more of Liverpool's group than, than any other groups as uh, seen as you've been sort of at every match, uh, which teams have caught your eye collectively, um, you know, either from England or, or overseas, which teams would you be looking at as thinking, okay, these are the real deal. Well, you have to say Bayern, they did beat Barcelona and Inter Milan home and away and won every single game. Um, as for the rest, I think I think the interesting thing to me is that while Chelsea and Tottenham had some struggles getting through the groups, they still finished top. And I think what it underlines is just, apart from like two or three other teams, is how far clear the Premier League teams, even when they're not even at the best, are compared to most of the European teams. It's crazy. I mean, Spanish through uh, from, yeah. from stages. It's just unheard of. You go back a few years ago and four of them, even five of them were getting through at one stage. I mean, that, I mean, that is a surprise. I mean, look at you. You mentioned Juventus. They struggled. Inter Milan did get through. So if, it's difficult to look beyond Bayern, but then there's Real Madrid, isn't there? And and I know PSG always get mentioned, but we know what they're like. And I think the fact that they've ended up finishing second in their group, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they played City in the next round and got absolutely battered. So I, I do I do get a feeling that that, that kind of Benfica goal glut at the end will, will come back to haunt PSG a little bit. So... It's their own fault as well. I mean, they're not they're not at their best either. But as you said, they, they don't play this next round until February. And then who knows what's going to go on in, in between, you know. I think, you look at, I'm, I'm not sure how many players City have got in the World Cup, but it's got to be, it could be 10 or 11 or something like that, I think. I think Chelsea's the same. Liverpool might only be five or six. So, I mean, they'll be quite well rested. There'll be other teams that won't have many in. So... It, it, it is, you know, there's a lot of variables going on. But if you, at the moment, if you told me who's the favourite for the Champions League, you'd have to say Bayern Munich by a long way. You say Bayern Munich, I say Man City. And Alex, I'll come to you and put you on the spot here. How far do you think Man City can truly take this? Because I really do think this could be their year to take it all the way to the end. Because not only have you got Erling Haaland, who's, I think, is injured at the moment. Well, injured, I'll put that in quotation marks because Pep Guardiola messed up my fantasy last week. But not only do you have Erling Haaland, you've also got Julian Alvarez there as well, who seems to still be still be in great shape, still be in great condition to also take you to a Champions League final again. So for you, how far do you think Pep Guardiola can take it this time? I mean, I've, I've given up sort of uh, trying to predict how far City will go in the Champions League. But I think... Now, we've got beyond the point where it's, you know, they've come so far. Um, there, there isn't really much else I don't think City could do in, like, you know, the early months of the season. Or there's, I don't think there's anything else they could ever do to make people think, you know, they are definitely, definitely, definitely going to win it this season. Because, you know, the Champions League is just so unpredictable, as City fans well know, in the latter stages. You know, you can just drop one, not even bad, maybe just average performance, one moment. In, as the, was the case against Real Madrid, one three-minute spell that's below par and you're out all of a sudden. Um, 
But I mean, as you say, they should be one of the favourites this season. I think anything less than the semi-finals will be deemed somewhat of a failure. I do think because, well, obviously, yeah, they've they've won their group. They're, until the last few games, they were looking very formidable. I think performance levels have dropped slightly, but also you've got to factor in the the, the way that opponents have set up against City in recent games, um, particularly after the Liverpool match, you know, playing Brighton was never going to be easy. The way that they go about it, they've come a lot, come up against a lot of sort of low block, um, compact defences, which are hard to pick apart, particularly when you don't have the option of Erling Haaland to try and sort of find with crosses and, and that kind of thing. But I do think, you know, semi-finals at least, but I'm, I'm kind of hoping, I mean, City have proved that you can get past Paris Saint-Germain in, the last two seasons, but I do hope they don't get them in the in the round of sixteen because you know last season PSG beat City um, at the Parc de France and obviously City got their sort of got their revenge in the return fixture. But you know you can never really, even though PSG have a track record of kind of imploding in the Champions League, they do have nights like they did against City last season where Messi just is out of this world and Mbappe is uh, too too sort of difficult to deal with. Um, so it would be nice if they could maybe avoid that kind of blockbuster um, fixture in the round of 16. But then if you're going to go all the way, you have to probably going to have to play the, the very best teams at some point. So City will probably still be favourites for that fixture, I reckon. Um, but I think anything less than the semi-finals would, would be a bit of an underachievement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Haaland was probably the, the missing piece of the Champions League jigsaw. Um, you know, you'd only have to go back a few years to, you know, Sterling missing that shot under the crossbar against against Leon and think if, if you had an Erling Haaland in the team back then, the what-if sliding doors moments that maybe that's what they've been missing all these years is somebody who can just put the ball in the net. And, um, and now, you know, it's fair to say they've got one in, in, in Erling Haaland. Um, moving sort of to segue from Champions League into the Premier League, Ian, this weekend uh, it's Tottenham. Uh, for Liverpool. Before we get on to Liverpool, I just wanted to ask you about um, Son Heung-Men. Really, really bad facial injury that he suffered um, in midweek in an aerial challenge. And it looks like that even his World Cup uh, could be in jeopardy. What a a bitter blow that that will be for Spurs uh, heading into these crucial fixtures. But not only that, but for South Korea as well, who pin in all their World Cup hopes on this guy. Uh, I I think if he's got a chance, he'll go to the World Cup. Um, I think I think was it De Bruyne who had it in the uh, Champions League? Was it the final against Chelsea? It was, wasn't That's it? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. And they yeah. ended up playing in the Euros. Admittedly, he wasn't absolutely magnificently brilliant. So but we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a blow for Tottenham, but Son's been in and out the team, hasn't he? A little bit at the start of the season, he was criticised for I don't know, probably for him not scoring about a thousand goals in six minutes because he's. Yeah, I think he's a great player, and I think uh, he's definitely one player I wouldn't have minded seeing Liverpool sign. Uh, so, from Liverpool's point of view, if he's not playing against uh, against them on Sunday, that's a that's a bonus. But blow for Tottenham. I mean, Tottenham are a strange team, aren't they? Strange team. I mean, from a from a morale point of view, to have two games where you've just come from behind and score in the last minute to win, they're going into the Liverpool game. They couldn't be any higher, but. You just couldn't guarantee that they're going to have a particularly good game. Well, admittedly, you don't have to play particularly well to beat Liverpool at the moment. Um, so, but I, I think with Tottenham, it's a typical Conte thing, isn't it? Because he's he's like when he was a manager at Chelsea, you couldn't think of any games where they're absolutely magnificent, but they just kept on getting results, and he wins stuff. He wins stuff, and you know, th- I think Tottenham will this season probably go far in one of the cup competitions. I couldn't guess which one, but I think they might do pretty well. They might even win something. So you know, making over the year and that. But uh, I, do, I do think Liverpool have got a tough game there against Tottenham. And, and, and let's be honest, they can't lose. Liverpool cannot afford to lose that game because then what will they be about 35 points behind Arsenal or something stupid like that? But they're not, you know, they're not going to win the league. I think, you know, I, I know Alex would appreciate me saying this, but I think City have already won the league. <laughs> they're probably going to win it by about 10 or 15 points. Yeah, uh, and but Liverpool are playing for fourth place. I think. I think the top three is going to be Arsenal and Tottenham and uh, and City. And I think they're playing for fourth, and they need they need to get a positive result because you know if they don't, then they're going to have like six weeks, seven weeks of this Premier League, you know, 
fans moaning about them hanging over them and they can't be doing without. I think we're doing a bit of a disservice here to Arsenal personally. I do think they're still they still have a chance of winning the Premier League. I still think they can. They can I think that they can. I think they're gonna take it down to the wire and I'm so sure they're gonna surprise so many people with what they're gonna come out with this at the end of the season. But looking back at Tottenham, right, and looking towards Liverpool, I look at this clash and I think this could either be a complete snooze fest or it can be the most exciting game of the season so far. And I'm I'm looking at the way you played Manchester City the other week, right? Is this the kind of approach that you'd expect Jurgen Klopp to go into this match with, or are you expecting to go to Tottenham and kind of give it your all and make sure that you come away with those three points? Because like you said, you have to win, but would a more pragmatic approach be the way that you would expect Jurgen Klopp to come out with? I don't think it'll be the same approach because Manchester City are really good and I don't think Tottenham are particularly great. Um, so they're not going to be, they're not going to play the same formation. Um, it's interesting because they went back to 4-3-3 against Napoli, which they hadn't played for a while. And, you know, we've spoken on this podcast about certain players being not very good this season and Fabinho's one of them, but he actually played all right against Napoli. And I wonder whether or not that that's kind of made Klopp's mind up to, to, to go back to that formation. Um yeah, I mean, in terms of how they're going to do it, I mean, there's still another couple of days to the game, so half the team might get injured between now and then, given the way the season's gone. Um, so I, I think Liverpool, I think Liverpool play their own game. I just think there's very few teams that they, you know, they, they change things around. City are one of them, and I think it's the same for anyone that comes up against City. If you try and play your own game against them, you're probably going to get beat if you just completely ignore what they're doing. So I think Liverpool do tweak it for certain opponents. I mean, Tottenham last season, they drew to all their... Uh, they had Tyler Morton was playing defensive midfield. I think it was around the time of you know quite a few players missed out through COVID and stuff like that. So you'd like to think they're slightly stronger, but as I said before, Tottenham will go into that game on a high. Liverpool kind of a high after what happened against Napoli. But in terms of it being a snooze fest, I do think probably both teams might look at it and think we can't lose this game. And just because the it'll start off pretty strong and then it's one of those games where we'll, you know, what happens in the first 20 minutes is going to decide what happens in the last 70. So it will be interesting to see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised at any outcome in that game. Any outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tottenham's duck and cover tactics in the big games doesn't really work when you're conceding like 40 shots on target and losing 3-4-0. and it's, it kind of defe- it's a bit like Homer Simpson when he's getting battered by Dredger Tatum. Uh, you know, rope a doesn't work if you're just getting punched in the face, I'm afraid. They're not going to have um, Mo come in and parachute him away, are they? Yeah. <laughs> um, Alex, I wanted just to come to you. Um, City's uh, league opponents Fulham this weekend and yep. maybe no Erling Haaland. Do you, do you expect to see Haaland play again before the World Cup break? Yeah, I think we'll see him play. <clears throat> I think we'll see him feature before the World Cup break. Uh, whether it's against Fulham on Saturday or not, as as Anita mentioned earlier, like you never quite know because, you know, we quite a lot of people thought that he would, he would play at Leicester and then it turned out he didn't. Um, but it's... As Guardiola said on, I think it was on Tuesday, that you know Haaland, he's feeling better than he did on Saturday, better than he did on Sunday, but his foot still wasn't right to to play against Sevilla. And chances are he wouldn't have wouldn't have started anyway because of the nature of the game sort of being meaningless and the need to give Alvarez some minutes. Um, but he just wasn't fit at all, so he wasn't in the squad. Um, so we'll see. But I think if he doesn't play against Fulham, I think it's not serious enough to sort of rule him out of the the um, League Cup game against Chelsea next week or Brentford um, a week on Saturday. So I think we will see him. It doesn't sound like it's, you know, too like too serious. It's discomfort in his foot. Um, but I, I don't think he'd be out for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted just to pick up on Alvarez actually um, you know with Jesus leaving and Sterling leaving and, and obviously um, you know Haaland with his little bit of it well small bit of injury trouble has has two parts to this question has Alvarez played more to this point than you would have expected maybe than he would have expected um, and the second part of that is I've been reading some stories this week that maybe he's uh, struggling to settle uh, in Manchester should that be a cause of concern for, for Man City fans who've been taken with, uh, with Alvarez since he joined the club um, yeah, I don't know. It's probably too early days, really, isn't it, in terms of, of settling? I mean, let's not forget it's... I mean, I'm not sure what the sort of... how sort of um, accurate those reports are, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he's, you know, maybe feeling a bit homesick or taking his time to settle in because, let's face it, he's he arrived in July. It's now November. It's a new country. 
doesn't know anyone, different language, different it's culture. Dark at three o'clock in the day. Exactly. Um, I mean, that upsets me, and I've I've lived there all my life. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, it's I don't know, but um, I think maybe I, I I don't know. I think it's Guardiola spoken recently, um, sort of before last night's game and then after the game, just how impressive he's found sort of Alvarez's attitude, and you know. He's not he's not one for sort of, you know, knocking on the manager's door every five minutes saying, Why have I not played why are you not playing me? Um he arrived knowing that, you know, Erling Haaland was the big striker um that City were gonna gonna be relying on. It's um and you know, he's spoken about how he's he's happy to sort of come into the team and play wherever Guardiola wants him to, whether he if he has to make lots of runs that, you know, to try and stretch defenses, if he has to keep dropping back. If he has to press, um, you know, he's happy to do all of that stuff. Obviously, you know, he's a striker. He wants to play in the central striking role. And as you say, when Haaland's fit, that's where Haaland's going to be playing. So we've seen Alvarez play a couple of times as a, a sort of a second striker slash number 10, sort of really sort of like inside forward kind of thing. I think it was against Nottingham Forest back in August. Um and that looked quite like quite good. He's, he looks really good when he's played off Haaland. Um, but in recent games, you know, there's been a sort of a few, cons- maybe sort of slight concerns from supporters largely um, in the games that Alvarez has played recently. But you kind of have to, you know, circumstances didn't really go in his favour in any of those games. So he, he started instead of Haaland in, um, in Copenhagen. Obviously City went down to 10 men um, after half an hour of that game. So they pretty much gave up you know, any sort of hope of um, of really going for the game, which probably limited the chances and the service that he was given. Then he um, played in Dortmund and obviously Haaland went off at halftime and both teams sort of realised, you know, a draw puts us both through here, kind of, you know, let, let's just, neither of us are going to go hell for leather and that's that. Um, and then he played last night, uh, sorry, played at Leicester as well. That was a really difficult game. He spoke after the game about how hard it is to play against a team that just sort of packs the defence, doesn't leave much space between the lines. He made a few runs in that game. Um, the just City didn't really find him. Um, and, you know, he just, he's at his best at Alvarez when he's got space to sort of move into. Um, that's when he's going to be doing those sort of runs, the dramatic sort of, dare I say, Aguero-esque finishes where he's smashing the ball into the top of the net. And it was kind of like that last night. Um, first half, City weren't at the best. Sevilla set up with a back five. Wasn't much room for Alvarez to run into. But then second half, City changed the shape a bit. Um, they were finding Alvarez in a bit more space and he, and he got his goal and two assists as well. So I think, you know, we've got a sort of, Tame, keep our sort of expectations in check a bit just because of how difficult it is for him to adapt to a new league and this team and Guardiola's demands. But, you know, Guardiola seems very, very, very happy with him. Um, not just his attitude, but how he is performing and the sort of selfless way that he's playing, even if he might not be banging in the goals that he wants to. And I think the second half yesterday was just a reminder to maybe some supporters that were thinking, oh, we, we watched loads of compilations of him played for River Plate and he was scoring from like everywhere on the pitch and now he's not. Just a reminder that, you know, sometimes games just don't go in your favour and it's it's hard to find the space sometimes the way that teams play against C and um, when they get the space, he can do what he did last night. So I think it was, I think he's doing well, um, but obviously there's a lot of room to improve and I think he will with time. I feel so bad for keeping it on you, Alex, but I, I just got to know, and Ian, you'd know all too well that Fulham can give a team a really good game and they can really go out there. And Alexandra, I don't know if I said his name right, but I'll say Mitrovic. Mitrovic will be playing as well. And I just want to know, like, do you have any reservations in this game? Do you think that Fulham can come to Man, can come to Man City and kind of give them a good game and maybe, you know, rock the boat a little bit? Um, yeah, I think it, I mean, obviously I think City should win. Um, but I mean, Fulham have kind of had a bit of an upturn in form this sort of recently, haven't they? They, they won at Leeds, they beat Aston Villa, got points at Everton, um, and Bournemouth. And I don't know, they're, they're certainly not a, an easy team to play against under, is it Mark, it's Marcus Silva, isn't it? Manager. Um, I mean, I think, was it last season? I think City played Fulham in the FA Cup. Um, when and obviously Fulham got promoted, 
And in the build-up to that game, like there was a lot of sort of, oh, here we go again. City have got a championship team at home in the FA Cup. Always easy draw. And Guardiola was really keen to point out, you know, a team that's top of the championship is probably better than half of the teams in the Premier League in the yep. way that they set up. He was really sort of, particularly not just any team, but because of how Marco Silva sort of has his Fulham team play and and the sort of the the press uh, the press that they put on teams and you know they're a good footballing team. They're not just gonna well, you never know how they might set up this weekend. Um, but last season anyway, they didn't come to the Etihad and set up with ten men behind the ball. Um, in fact, I think they took the lead in that game. I think it was, was it Mitrovic or was it um, Carvalho? I can't remember. Um, scored their goal. But, you know, it's City should win, but I don't think it's going to be like an easy game that, you know, when we expect a City or a Liverpool or a Chelsea to sort of run over a newly promoted team, I think it'll be a decent game, but I think City should win. I think so too. I think so too. Uh, Anita, I wanted to come to you. Um, obviously, the big London derby this weekend. Um, a lot of people expect Arsenal's wheels to come off at some stage. Maybe, maybe uh, that could be it this weekend. But then again, maybe not, because last week in that Brighton game, I was um, wondering whether Graham Potter had forgotten to name a defender uh, at one stage in his starting lineup. I was very, very confused, Shalaba, Silva and Kukurela, and then Sterling and, and Pulisic, the wingbacks. I was thinking, man, this is a very, very strange team. It's like something a kid would pick on FIFA. Um, what was that about? You ask me a question that I cannot answer, Peter. I cannot answer that question. I turned off that match. That's the first match I've turned off this season. I turned it off after about 40 minutes because I just knew where it was going. There was just no way that I could see Chelsea bringing it back. I, I hate the whole using wingers as wingbacks. I hated it with Thomas Tuchel and I hate it now. It just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever and i'm There's no balance so... with that is there there's no balance in a team like that right are they attacking are they defending what's going on everyone's conf- everyone looks confused on the pitch no one knows what this- no one seems to know what they're doing and it's it's just one of those ones where you live and you learn i'm sure graham potter's probably watched that match back and thought yeah why on earth did i do this what well, maybe i made mistakes here and there and he did to be fair and he's gonna make mistakes like that and that's the first kind of match where i can say yeah graham i'm looking at you a little funny because that was some absolute rubbish that you did there but he said it himself he's taking it on the chin and he's taking all of the blame for it he said it was his fault um his idea and stuff. Raheem Sterling was a, he was like, yeah, you go to a new team, you get asked to do play new positions and stuff, and it's fine. But you could just tell that he was not comfortable on in that wing back role. It's, it's just Sterling's not sense. a left back. Let's be honest, is he? He's he's, he's, a, he's things he can play anywhere, but he's not a left back. He's not. I put him in cam. You know, he can play cam. He can play there. Don't put him as a as a wing back or a left back or a right back. Just don't put him anywhere back. You know what I mean? Just don't do it. And it's just it's sad because I feel like we might see this happen again because Ben Chilwell looks to be out with a nasty injury. And I hope he's not out for the World Cup because that would be such a blow. Because especially after his run in the Euros where he didn't get any game time and I'm sure he wants to kind of come back and prove to Gareth Southgate that he can play in this England team. So I'm really hoping this injury is something minor. Um, I think they're, they're running some tests. We'll probably find out today what it is, but hopefully he'll be back. And I doubt he'll be back in time for Arsenal, though. So we're probably going to see Pulisic at left wing back. So soon after losing Reese James uh, as well, you know, the, those are two quite, oh. quite crucial players, have been quite crucial players to win in the Champions League and, and, yeah. and playing really well for two, maybe two of the best in the world in, in those particular roles. All, all the while, Marcus Alonso is at, at Barcelona. Chelsea fans more or less hated him, but they'd probably bite their hand off. Oh, hand no, off no. Alonso no. No, no, I'd still rather have Christian Pulisic as a left-wing back or Raheem Sterling as a left-wing back. Luckily, we've got Mark Cucurella there who can play that left wing back role. Um, if if um, Potter prefers Kulabali to play that left centre back role, he might have to adapt and make sure that that does happen because that seems to be the best way going forward. But mm-hmm. again, we don't know. But Marcus Alonso, good for him in Barcelona. He can stay there. I'm, I'm very I vocal like about that. I, as a person, like he's pretty sound, but as a footballer, I'd rather him stay in La Liga. Thank you very much. But yeah... I don't think we're going to win this weekend, by the way, putting that out there. 
I wanted to just to pick up maybe on one one positive that you had last night. Obviously, um, through in the Champions League, um, top. And it would have been a lot of Chelsea's fans' first look at Dennis Zachariah, the player that came in from Juventus over the course of this summer, too. Um, very little fanfare, let's say. Yeah. But he played and he scored last night. It, um, with so many injuries and, and your personnel changes in Chelsea's centre midfield over the last few weeks, could we, could we be looking at a, a solution to, um, to some of Chelsea's problems in Zachariah? Yes, and finally, <laughs> we've been needing a midfielder like him for a very long time. I saw him in there and I was thinking, okay, this could go either really well or really badly, putting him next to Jorginho. Um, how's Chelsea going to cope with this? Um, are they going to be able to adapt to the change? And there were a little bit of frustrations with him um, during the match, to be fair. And I feel, I feel like it's just because... We're not used to having someone that sits in front of the sits in front of the defenders and kind of has to break down the play and do all the nasty little bits. Um, obviously we had N'Golo Kante doing that before, but N'Golo Kante was more running all around the pitch, and you were used to that, right? And we're not used to it with Zakaria. So him scoring as well on his debut is absolutely phenomenal. When the ball got back to him. I was actually quite nervous. I was thinking, are you going to hit it? Are you going to hit it? Are you going to pass it? Is it going to go over the bar? But he struck the ball very well. And I'm sure he's pretty proud of his performance. And I'm sure Graham Potter is too. He's just the kind of midfielder that every team needs. Probably even a Liverpool needs him. You know, every team needs a midfielder like Zakaria. And I'm hoping this is the start of something new. But again, we've got um, a long break with the World Cup, so maybe Kante will be back in January, maybe Kovacic will be at his 100% capacity in January as well, so this might have been the game for him to kind of show Graham Potter that he means business. On the other side uh, of this uh, London battle at the weekend is, is of course, Arsenal. Um, Alex, if you don't mind, Ian, I, I realise you haven't spoken in a few minutes, but I just wanted to bring Alex back in here for the Arteta perspective. Um, big story around Arsenal this week is the fact that um, it looks like Barcelona are making a play um, to maybe have Mikel Arteta as their next manager. Former player, uh, of course, um, spent some time at Barcelona. The connections are, are strong with Guardiola as well, who's... Guardiola's connections are really strong with Barcelona too, obviously. Um, does this seem like a, a natural step forward for Arteta at this stage of his career, Alex? Or, or would he be well advised to stay put and, and, and build something maybe perhaps a little bit more sustainable at Arsenal with, with the squad that they have? Um, yeah, I think the latter, really. Um, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it, as you say, like he's he's been building a sort of a long-term project and... I guess it's what's three years now since he's been at Arsenal. Um, and now this is the season where it seems to finally really be coming together and in quite a spectacular way. Um, so it just doesn't make sense. I mean, I could understand, say, if, if it was true and if Mikel Arteta fancied going, I can understand why he'd want to go because, you know, he was at Barcelona. It's one of the biggest clubs in the world. Okay, they're not in the greatest shapes at the minute, um, both financially and on the pitch. But, you know... They're probably in a better situation, or at least they have more tools for a manager to use than they did perhaps a year ago. Um, but I just don't, I also don't really see Barcelona sort of giving up on Xavi already. Um, so I'm not, I don't really think it's something that Arteta should do if it, if the opportunity came. And I'm not sure it really will either. Um, maybe like, you know, at the end of the season, if it's, if Barcelona have been a bit of a car crash and maybe, but I don't see, you know, Barcelona sort of just getting rid of Xavi tomorrow or or even like just after the world cup or anything so i think i think arteta should stay put even if they do sort of put the feelers out i feel like there's a lot of like um negativity towards barcelona because they came out of the um champions league and back into europa league and chavi's being put under a lot of scrutiny but you just have to remember that chavi is still a relatively new manager as well what's what's the point of getting rid of chavi who's wildly a fan favourite in Barcelona. I haven't heard many people complain about him too tough, but he is a fan favourite for Barcelona. Bringing in Mikel Arteta, who's also 
relatively new to the managerial game as well. I just don't see any sense in it. I really do hope that Arteta stays with Arsenal. And I know it sounds so crazy coming from a Chelsea fan, but I like the project that he's building with that team. And they look like they could be so exciting. Maybe not win the Premier League this season. Maybe maybe in a couple of seasons to come, you know, they can win a proper major trophy and they can actually go far in a Champions League campaign with Mikel Arteta building this project. So I'm with you on that, Alice. I do hope that he does stay put because it just wouldn't make any sense mm-hmm. and, and Ian after after seeing Arsenal uh, up close against Liverpool um, what was it maybe two or three weeks back mm. seeing them coming into these big games you know obviously in the Spurs game as well where they, they, they blew them away um, Chelsea this weekend are you impressed by what's going on at Arsenal does it look sustainable to you are they having a lucky <laughs> run of form do you expect them to be there come the last knockings well they'll be up I mean they'll probably finish second I'd be surprised they're certainly going to finish top four and I can't see really anybody else unless they do a, a, a typically Arsenal kind of February. You've mentioned this before, Peter, the collapse, you know, and everything just falls apart in about two weeks. But I can't, to be honest, you, you, you can't see that happening because of the players they got. But also Arteta, I mean, I know Arteta from when he was, he was playing at Everton. That shows you how long I've been doing this job. And, um, you know, he, he always read the stuff. That's always good. He used to pick me up. Every now and again, he used to pick me up on the, on the, on the match report. So that's, so that's why I always, you know, got a lot of time for him. But ever since he came in at Arsenal, if you remember when he first started, he basically made them incredibly difficult to beat. And everyone went, oh, they're just so boring. But the difference was is that, yeah, the boring to watch and the bore, but they weren't boring in terms of the results. They won the FA Cup, didn't they? And then they won the and then they won the community shield and then they missed out on the Champions League last season because the, the game it was at Newcastle they got beat right towards the end of the season they got beat. Um and now they're quite clearly going to get in the Champions League. As I say, I don't think they'll they'll win the league. But they, they by getting into the Champions League, I think it's a reminder to everybody, all the teams outside of England that, that Arsenal still exists, to be honest. I mean, and, and they've got this kind of, you know, they're on the upward curve and it'll help them attract players because I think they've gone through now massively that period where they were paying off the stadium as well. That seemed to take forever. And Wenger obviously suffered with it towards the end of his, of his reign. And then they kind of stumbled through a couple of managers and got to the point where they are now. And uh, going to, back to the Barcelona question, you wouldn't really want to go to Barcelona, Barcelona now if you're a manager, to be honest. Yeah, for the points that you know that, that Alex has made, I do think it would be far too early. And Arteta just seemed the kind of person who, you know, to, to move from City, where he had a great job, to Arsenal, which was a very difficult job. It shows you that he's got the appetite to to, to do something like that, and he's invested, as we said, nearly three years into it. Obviously, he was the captain of Arsenal when he, when he finished playing. But uh, I do think, why would he leave? Why would he leave not just this season, but next season as well? Because they're going to be in the Champions League and he'll want to test himself as a manager. And I'm pretty sure if they can, let's put it this way, if Arsenal played Barcelona tomorrow, Arsenal would win. And that tells you where he should be. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting, you mentioned that uh, Mikel Arteta used to pick up points that you made in the media. Mm. Uh, can you tell where I'm going to go with this one? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's seamless, seamless. See, that's good. I thought that was pretty good yeah. also, actually. BBC Breakfast, if you're watching, um, I can do things. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, let's get let's get into the Cristiano Ronaldo uh, issue, thorny issue. So, you know, it's kind of well established that he's got his defenders in the media, you know, Roy Keane, Rio Ferdinand, Gary Neville, to a certain extent, uh, would all essentially go into bat for Cristiano Ronaldo when things looked a bit difficult. Um, there's even been reports of a WhatsApp group that Ronaldo would orchestrate what people should be saying on TV or in the newspapers about him, which I find uh, fascinating. But Neville stepped out of line the other day uh, in terms of defending Ronaldo and said that, you know, maybe he's brought some of these problems on himself. It's time for a spell out of the team. And maybe that Man United are better off without him. Now, that came up against some stiff resistance with what Roy Keane was saying on the other side, that, you know, maybe we should still be building teams around Ronaldo. Everybody needs to learn from him, that kind of thing. Um, But it all culminated in a sort of a pitch side confrontation last week where uh, on camera, Cristiano Ronaldo met a... uh, quite pointedly shook hands with the other pundits and blanked Gary Neville. And what does this say about Ronaldo's attitude, even at the, you know, he's approaching his 38th birthday? And uh, does it feel to you that um, maybe Mr. Neville is out of the club? Um, I'm going to say something now that probably won't go down too well on this podcast, but who cares? Honestly, who cares, really? It's just basically, it's grown men having a bit of a fight, having a bit of a falling out. I know that he's good We've gone. I know that, that I know, I know I've got to talk about it to fill the space, <laughs> but yeah, but um, I think going, just the general point of Ronaldo, I mean, he's always had that kind of like, okay, start, he's one of the best footballers that's ever played football. Okay, 
Let's just get that out there now. But he's always had that kind of thing where he's a little bit spoiled, a little bit of a brat. So that's kind of helped him get to where he is now. But, you know, he, he, you can beat everybody, but you can't beat time. And he's, he's, he's what is he, 37 now? He's 37. So it's like, it's no wonder he's not playing for United every single week. And United are actually doing quite well when he's not there, as you pointed out. So why would he play? He's he's there for his, you know, he, he can't. He's going to play games, and he's a good player, and he'll score goals still. But he can't do the things that he used to do. And I wonder whether or not he's just a little bit frustrated himself because he's realised no matter what I do, no matter how much I prepare, I'm not getting to the levels that I used to be. I mean, the thing the other the other day where he walked off because he didn't want to come on as a substitute. I mean, grow up, basically. You know, it's but he needs to do what if he's if he's there for his professionalism. What kind of example is that to set to everybody else, other than to say, well, you know, you know that that's totally immature. You mean you're nearly forty, Cristiano? Come on, pack it in. You know, that's what he should be saying to him. And I think that there's a little bit of what Ten Hag kind of the points that he put. I would love to know what he said behind the scenes. I would absolutely love to know what he said because, you know, Ronaldo. There's no, there's probably no stronger personality in in, in football at the moment than him. And that's that is why people care about what he does and what he says. See, I've brought it around there, Peter, for you. Um, and yeah, I do. I do think it's funny, but ultimately, it doesn't really matter, does it? If we're being absolutely honest, because how many people think Cristiano Ronaldo? I've asked all you three. How many people think Cristiano Ronaldo is going to be at Man United at the start of next season? Because I don't. No, no chance. No yeah, chance. He's he's definitely exactly. done. But maybe maybe I'm taking the unpopular view here, but I don't think he's done. Not by a long shot. I just think he's I think, still he's... I think that's a very unpopular view. Yes, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I honestly do. I think if, if he finds, I think there's there is a top class club out there for him that he will he will thrive in. Uh, maybe it's not Man United. Well, I don't think they're a top class club, particularly at the minute, anyway. But I think it's you know for me, I've seen what he's done in his career, even what he's done recently in his career. I think it's far too early to write him off. If I'm honest, I, I still think. Look, if if Real Madrid had so he'd probably be in the Benzema this year, and he probably would have won the Ballon d'Or. You know, that, that's 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 the level I still think he's at. Do you think that he's going to go to a club that's bigger or better than Manchester United when he leaves? I can't see it at the moment, no. I, because I mean, his demands are probably too high. Um, and he comes with... It's a circus, isn't it, really? Uh, everything that comes around him. You know, you've, you've got his sister texting every two minutes about it's God's plan for Ronaldo to win the Ballon d'Or every year. I mean, that's got to be distracting. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think any cares about that, honestly? No, it's just all about it's a circus. Yeah. It's a circus. It's a City, circus. City played it really well last summer as well, I think. Yeah, they, they kind Avoid. of smoked him out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah you all know I'm a Ronaldo stan, so I won't I won't chip into this conversation. But what what he did was it was a tad bit childish. <laughs> I won't lie, there it was a tad bit childish. But again, why does anyone care? Let's just move on from it. Like you said, Ian, who cares? Let's, let's move on to the other grown man feud of the week. Yeah, let's, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of grown men <laughs> in conversations that are just so catty, so petty, but. Let's bring it up anyway. Two players who have played under Pep Guardiola in the past. So, Alex, I'm guessing you know I'm coming to you on this. But Samuel Eto'o has claimed that Thierry Henry is not on his level. When they were playing, they were not on his level. And um, he also wasn't on Nicholas Anelka's level. Now, Alex, I have to bring you in here because, like I've said, they both played under Pep Guardiola. There's that little link over there as well. Is there any part of this statement where you can say, okay, I can I can agree with this? Like, is is there any part of it where you thought Samuel Eto might be onto something here? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> um, no, I think. I mean, yeah, Thierry Henry. Like, I, there's this weird sort of section I think of of football Twitter that I've seen where you know. Everyone always says that Thierry Henry is one of the best strikers that's ever played the game. But then they look at his maybe his goals return, or I think his goals return, and it's like, oh well, his goals per game wasn't as good as this or something like that. But I mean, I don't know. I think I don't know. Samuel Eto, he's had kind of form for saying sort of weird things. Like he's got a bit of a feud with Guardiola, hasn't he? I don't think he was too happy that he got um, he got sort of jettisoned out of Barcelona just before you know. Everything went very, very swimmingly for Guardiola at Barcelona. Um, so I don't know. I think that the Anelka one is that's that's just a bit. I mean, Anelka was a, a great striker, um, and I think he's probably one of those players where 
other players will say how amazing he was if like because they'd see him in training and he was a fantastic player very technical striker but if you were to compare like actually the careers they had and Elka's nowhere near the level of of Thierry Henry is he really like maybe like he's like a player's player but in terms of what he actually achieved and his goals return and that kind of thing he's just nowhere near Thierry Henry and he's not on Eto's level either but I think I don't know I'm not I don't think I could agree that Eto was better than Thierry Henry I think uh, I might I might have to step in here and say something you know a little bit unpopular. I actually think that Etu was was better than Henri. Uh, I do, both in terms of what kind of player he was and, and overall career achievements. Um, might be an unpopular view because Henri is almost like the sacred cow of the Premier League. But I just think, for me, Etu's career is, is unsurpassed, unparalleled. Um, what probably separates him is the World Cup trophy that Henri won when he was young with France. But... You know, to counteract that, I would say that Etu had the Olympic Games and the AFCON twice, which I think for an African player is the full set because they've just never been able to get close to a World Cup. So I think if you win the Olympics and the AFCON, that's probably the full set. Not only that, but back-to-back trebles, one for Pep, one for Mourinho, a lot of adaptability there. At least shows the ability for, for himself to, to get his head down and work under whatever manager he's given. And overall, I think their goal returns ended up very, very similar. Now, maybe Henri's peak went on slightly longer than Etu's. You know, he kind of messed about a little bit. I think he was in, um, you know, he was in Dagestan for, for a while playing for Anzi Mahachkala. Um, back to Everton, Sampdoria. It was kind of all over the place a little bit at the end of his career, Etu. But I think at the peak, somebody gave me a blank check. I'm probably going for, I'm probably going for Samu. Do you know, something we haven't touched on as well, it's kind of like the eye test as well. I hate using the line eye test, but just watching both of them, can you pick of someone that you'd favour a little bit more? I thought when I was watching both of them growing up, they were both absolutely unbelievable in front of goal. They were Henry's absolutely... way more elegant, way more you elegant. He looks saying? like a better player. He looks like a better player. And he that's the only reason why I'd always like put Henri like at the pinnacle of strikers because I just loved the way he played. But at the same time, I still look at Samuel Eto and I think, yeah, you you had the you had um you had the streets, you know, you you're a streets hero, and that's why I love him so much. And then he came to Chelsea at his old age, and he scored. I think I can't remember he who did the, he did the walking stick celebration. Yeah, but he scored a hat trick. He scored a hat trick, <laughs> and he did the whole walking stick thing. I think he was he was deep into his 30s at that time. And I just look back at it and I think, as a player, I would prefer Samuel Eto'o. But on the eye, Henri had it for me. He was just so unmatchable. Ian, uh, you, you had the privilege probably of seeing Nicolas Elanka play for Liverpool in a yes. spell that The great lost opportunity. The great lost opportunity for Liverpool. They, they should for have signed him. For both. Probably for both. Yeah. The lost opportunity for Elka and a lost opportunity for Liverpool at that stage of his career. Yeah, they signed Elad's dupe instead. That went well. <laughs> how would you rank okay let's put you in the mix no we won't how would, no, you, rank these three, in. How would you rank these three guys um, over the course of their career um, it depends again it depends how you, you judge it you know who's your favourite child it's that kind of question isn't it really if I'm being honest certainly with, with Henri and Eto um, have you got one Peter yeah no. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't make me say it yeah, I, th- I think, okay, if you were a centre-back, I think you'd probably prefer to be up against Eto, but then you'd probably be surprised more by the fact that he's got, he had a little bit, bit of a better all-round game, so he's a bit more awkward. But the one thing that Henri could do, he could make you look stupid just by running very, very fast at you, and, he, and you know, he had, he had that kind of ability, didn't he? Um, Eto, obviously, the, the most successful player ever to play for Everton. That is that. That's obviously that's his main claim to fame of his entire career. That's what that's what somebody. It's when he goes and introduces himself to people. I'm a former footballer. I was the most successful player ever to play for Everton. So uh, that's that's a really strange fact. It's 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 true as well. I'm pretty sure it's true. Well, let's put it this way: it was when he signed, and I don't think they've signed anybody as successful in terms of trophies since. Trophies won. uh, No. Yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah, I'd probably say if you're going to push me, Henri. Okay, Henri. Um, I want to stay with you, Ian. Uh, we're going to round off um, very, very soon. But there was uh, another almost, let's call it like a semi-feud during the week because it was everybody sort of feuding back with Michael Owen for a claim that he met. So Michael Owen, you know, I think he gets a bit of a, you know, I think he gets a bit of a hard time, Michael Owen, because of, you know, like his helicopter videos and, you know, that time that he killed a rabbit and all that kind of thing. Now, it, it, he's become an unfashionable player since he finished 
Now he said something during the week, which was when 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 I was a young player, I was uh, I would have been worth as much as Kylian Mbappe is now, um, and people started laughing about that. Maybe because we're sort of a generation removed from people who remember watching on um, not on uh, Michael Owen come through as a young player. So what I wanted to ask you, Ian, as somebody who probably tracked his career right from the beginning. Is this statement on the money from Michael Owen? Was he at that level uh, compared to to Mbappe? And does he have a right to defend himself against people who might who might treat this comparison as a little bit of a joke? Yeah, I was going to say you three might be a generation away, but I'm not. <laughs> I, remember, I remember I remember him coming through. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting question, really, because it's hard because Henri, uh, sorry, Mbappe when he came in, he's gone straight to the Champions League and done stuff, and he's done stuff. Yeah, he won a World Cup with France, which, you know, I know I know Owen scored his goal against Argentina in the World Cup. And you could argue that from when he came through, which is about 97, through to he did his um he did his hamstring at Leeds about 18 months into his career. And he kind of never was never quite as fast after that. He, I mean, I can see where he's coming from, let's put it that way. I think at the same age as like 17, 18, it probably would have been worth the same amount. And by the time Owen's getting to I think it's about 21. That's when he wins the Ballon d'Or. Then Liverpool won the three trophies in 2001. But he, he got it because he scored the hat trick against Germany in uh, in Germany in the World Cup qualifier. So I was at the match when he was presented with the Ballon d'Or trophy. Would you believe? Who, who was that against? It was against Spurs at home. Yari Littman and scored. It was a one 0 win. Um, good knowledge, by the way. How old would you have been then? About 25. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. no, I, was in, I was still in school. So I would have been like uh, 17, did... 17, maybe. Yeah, and the rest. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, no, I think I can see where, where I was coming from. I don't think he's as good as football as Mbappe. I don't think he'd ever claim to be that. But I think he's on about more when they came through because Michael Owen was the hottest property in world football at that time. He was, and I think people do forget that. And I think the problem for Owen is that he got injuries at the wrong time. He went to Real Madrid, and then Liverpool, obviously, that season won the Champions League. And when he went to Real Madrid, it was part of the Galactic hosting. Beckham was there. There's a few others there. And he did okay. But then, obviously, I think a new manager came in or a new president, and he said, right, we don't want you anymore. And he wanted to come back to Liverpool. He ended up going to Newcastle because they had the money. Liverpool didn't. And then the following season, he did his uh, he did his knee, wasn't it, at the World Cup? And that was that for him, basically. So it's I think for if he felt 35 when he was 25. Exactly, because he'd been around for that long. And I, I think he was kind of that one of that first generation where the clubs just didn't really look after them as well. You compare it to Wayne Rooney, who came a couple of years later and he came through and he didn't really have this. I know he's a different kind of player and differently built. He never really seemed to get injured that much, well, unless it was in an England international tournament where he seemed to just get injured every single time. But he didn't really seem to get injured. But with Owen, because of the way he played, he'd get problems, hamstring, and then it always affected his game. In terms of natural talent, Mbappe is definitely a better footballer. But yeah, I do think, I can see where he's coming from when he says that at the time they were coming through when they were the teenagers, he was the hottest property. He would have probably been worth, if he'd come through now and he'd done the stuff that he'd done for Liverpool in this Liverpool team, he'd definitely be worth the same as Mbappe was when he was if 17 Grealish, or 18. If Grealish is going for 100 million right now, and Mbappe went for sort of 150 million. It's, it's market he's... value, though, isn't it? You know, yeah. City wanted to play like Grealish and they had the money, so they bought him and, and Villa, you know, and, and City will probably end up getting decent value from him for, for what they get because they'll win loads of trophies with him playing. So, you know, for with Owen, yeah, he's not, he's not he was never as good as Mbappe. But uh, when he first started, I can see why he would have been worth that much. Alex, you're a little bit younger than all of... Well, maybe Anita's uh, around your generation as well. But, you know, Michael Owen used to play football once upon a time, Alex. Uh, you know, back in the olden days. Um, maybe you actually saw him score a winning goal in a Manchester Derby once upon a time, Alex. Will you, will you have any recollections of that? You did? Yeah, I did. I did. That was, that was a painful one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, why did he go to Manchester United? Like, I think wasn't that only? Did he score two goals for United, and that was one of them? I think oh, I got that wrong. He scored a hat trick in the Champions League for them. Oh, okay, I remember. Right. Yeah, but maybe two. But league he definitely goals didn't score like score many in the league anyway. And uh, yeah, that was the four three, wasn't it? Where City looked like did Craig Bellamy had rescued a point, and then yeah, fifty minutes of injury time, whatever it was, something stupid like that. Um, <laughs> you're not bitter about it. That's the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't think about it on a weekly basis. Um, yeah, but yeah, obviously, yeah, the he just I think he's not helped himself, has he? It's the it's the it's the helicopter videos, that video of when he's destroying a the thirteen year old goalkeeper when he was when he was younger, um the the stuff with like the horses and filming dead rabbits in his garden and the stuff with his daughter going on um 
Love he's Island. Never seen it's film just either, famously. It's, he's just a slightly strange man, but yes, he was a very good footballer. But I think sort of people my generation forget that because they perhaps don't really remember it well enough, and they just see this sort of pundit who does all these weird things, and he's a bit boring, isn't he? Um, and he's just he's not, in my opinion, he's not the greatest sort of punt pundit or commentator so i think people forget that he was an incredible footballer and he there is probably merit to what he's saying but many people will probably just treat it as a joke which probably isn't fair but there we go so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to wrap it up there uh seeing as we've 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 lost anita so uh thanks everybody for tuning into this live edition uh, of football digest with alex anita uh ian and myself uh, it's been great um and make sure you follow us on your socials um leave a comment Uh, give us some interaction give us some love and uh, we'll see you next time thanks everybody